I wonder what are the most difficult experiences you have had being a Christian. I wonder when you have felt under the most pressure to give up your faith. I wonder if you've been tempted to hide your love for Jesus in order to blend among the crowd. As I was reflecting on this passage this week and trying to work out how it might apply to our everyday lives, five memories came to my mind. The first couple came from my time at secondary school. I was bullied at school, and partly because I was a Christian. At one time, the bullies were threatening to turn up on a Sunday morning and disrupt the church service. That may not sound very likely to you, but for weeks on end, I remember sitting in church, watching the door, dreading that it would open. Another memory I have from school is of the Christian Union being closed down by the headmaster. we just run a mission week, which had resulted in a few people coming to faith. News of this had got out to the staff and they were not very happy. We were told that we're not allowed to proselytise in school, and as a result, our meetings had to stop. I then had a couple of memories come to me from my time in the workplace. I've told you before how I was turned down once for a promotion because the interviewer couldn't get past the fact that the first thing on my CV was that I was a Christian. But in that same company, there was also another member of staff superior to me, who deliberately blasphemed every time I walked into the room. When I left the job, he even wrote it in my leaving cart. Now, of course, he thought he was being uh, very funny, but I remember struggling to know how to react. And finally, I remember the peer pressure of being around my friends, the pressure to conform and be like them, to join in with the things that they were doing be that at a football match or a music venue or a Christmas party. And of course, every time I made some sort of stand, I was mocked as the holy moly, Bible-bashing Jesus freak that they decided I was. So those five memories quite quickly came back to me as I reflected on this passage. And I wonder what your experiences have been through different stages of your life. Of course, as Christians in the UK, we should be very grateful that in the grand scheme of things, we don't really know what persecution is. We don't have to go through anything like what many of our brothers and sisters do on a daily basis. We don't have to fear arrest or violence or ostracism from our families like they do. We're still free to meet and worship God as we please. But regardless of how big or small we perceive our struggles to have been, do you know what? My experience is that God has always been faithful to me. He's always brought me safely through the other side. Those bullies, they never came and disrupted a church service. From that Christian union that was closed down, I know that several of them have gone on to become full-time ministers. On being turned down from the promotion at work, I got the impetus I needed to apply for Bible college instead. The colleague who blasphemed every time he saw me later gave me a generous gift and invited me on holiday with him. And those old friends of mine, I still see them from time to time and try to witness to them. One of them even invited me to conduct his wedding. 
In our passage today, we're going to see how in times of trouble, God delivers the faithful. That is my experience. And I pray that it will be yours too as you grow up in your Christian faith. But let's now have a look at this exciting section in Daniel because there's much to encourage us here. Daniel chapter 3 begins with a situation where great pressure is being applied to the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And the pressure comes purely because they are believers in God and they're eager to follow his will. The tyrant king Nebuchadnezzar has set up an enormous statue. You cannot miss it. It's 27 meters high. It's made of gleaming gold. It's announced by a deafening fanfare of instruments. Nebuchadnezzar has literally designed it to dominate over everything. And once the statue is finished, the command comes from the king for the people to bow down and worship the statue. And immediately that causes the three friends a serious problem. Because as devout Jews, they know God's law. They might be in exile in a foreign country, but the Ten Commandments still stand. And what were the first two of those commandments? God said, you shall have no other gods before me, and you must not make an idol and bow down to it. Suddenly then, the rules of the Babylonian king and the rules of God have come into conflict with one another. And the result is pressure. Let's quickly analyse the form of pressure that these three friends faced. The pressure came from a person in authority. In the first seven verses of this chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar's name comes four times. In the original Aramaic, it comes six times. This king looms large over the story. His authority is stressed in the clearest terms. And be it the headmaster at my school or the bosses at my work, be it the politicians in power or the laws coming from our courts, Christians are coming under pressure because of the actions of those in authority. So the pressure comes from authority and the pressure is for conformity. These three friends are being pressurised into joining the crowd, behaving like everyone else. In verse 2, we get this long list of people that the king summons. Satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials. And then in the very next verse, verse 3, that same list gets repeated again. As the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials gather at the king's statue and do what he says. You can feel from those lists the pressure on those friends to conform. Everyone else is doing what is asked of them. In disobeying, they're going to stand out like a sore thumb. So the pressure comes from authority, it's for conformity, and it's rooted in intimidation. And you can sense how the intimidation builds as time goes on. First of all, we're told of the monstrous dimensions of this statue. 
Then we're told the horrible penalty for disobedience is death in a blazing furnace. Then we find out that there are malicious people in the king's court deliberately trying to catch out the three friends. And finally, the furious king brings them before him personally and issues the worst of ultimatums. Bow or die, he effectively says. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? We can feel it, can't we? Pressure, pressure, pressure. Pressure from authority. Pressure to conform with everybody else. Pressure based on intimidation. These three friends are made to suffer purely because of their faith in God. The king is trying to undermine all they hold dear to get them to doubt the very bedrock that they have built their lives upon. How can they possibly survive this pressure? Well, in the very next verses, we begin to get the answer. Amongst all the pressure... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego managed to keep perspective. Verses 16 to 18 are the most important in the whole chapter. The king rails against them. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And the three friends reply, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Wow. What courage. What composure. How do we even begin as believers to keep this sort of perspective in tough times? Well, in these verses, I think we find a few clues. First of all, these three friends managed to maintain a grip on the truth. King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend you ourselves before you in this matter. Even when under the kosh, these three friends recognize that Nebuchadnezzar is a mere earthly king. So much below the power and might of God. They recognize the farcical nature of any demand to worship a motionless statue formed by human hands. How can a god possibly be formed by a human being? They also maintain their grasp on the truth of scripture. They know what God said when he gave the Ten Commandments and they will not be moved from it. These three friends will not allow themselves to be distracted from the truth. And being anchored in truth helps us to keep perspective. But of course, alongside knowledge of the truth, there's also a good deal of faith involved as well. The three friends state, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have great faith in the power of God. They believe that he has the strength to step in. 
Nebuchadnezzar has questioned whether their God is able to rescue them. And they resolutely respond that he is. He is able. But notice that this is more than just faith in the power of God. This is faith in God's ability to vindicate them. Even if God does not deliver them from the furnace, then through death itself, God will still have delivered them from Nebuchadnezzar's hand. God will have rescued them from the king's evil clutches, not to suffer anymore as a result. These three friends recognise that ultimately God is free to act as he wishes, to save them from the fire or not. But one way or another, he will look after them and he will vindicate his faithful ones. And this is the faith that believers are asked to have even today. And these three have it in spades. There is one final clue in these verses on how to keep perspective in challenging situations. And that is the importance of worship. The three friends finish off their statement to the king with these words. Even if God does not rescue us from the furnace, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And here we reach the crux of the whole story. The crucial matter for these three friends is not whether God will deliver them or not, but their need to remain obedient to him. In this chapter, the verb worship occurs 11 times. And on top of that, the verb to serve, as in to serve a God, occurs another five. So 16 times then, in this chapter, mention is made of giving God what he deserves. And these three friends manage to keep the perspective that what really matters in life is not really our own personal security, but that God is honoured and worshipped as he is due. And it's this combination of truth and faith and worship that helps these three friends keep a healthy perspective on life even when they're under the most intolerable pressure. And in many ways, this teaching, this example, is far more important than the miracle that follows. As believers, there will be times when we come under pressure for our faith, even on Isla, even here. And when those moments come, we have to fight to keep perspective. We need to ground ourselves in the truth of Scripture. We need to keep meeting together to bolster the faith of our brothers and sisters. And we need to keep worshipping God. You know, Sunday by Sunday, we are training ourselves to keep our eyes on God. In the most difficult and intimidating situations, worship is really important. There is one final thing to note from this story. The believers were under pressure. They managed to keep perspective. And in the end, God steps in to deliver them. But we need to see how he does it. On hearing the refusal of the three friends to worship his statue, Nebuchadnezzar is furious. And consequently, he stokes up the furnace seven times hotter and he throws them in. 
He even kills a few of his best men in the process. So determined is he to get rid of them. But then a spectacular miracle occurs. A miracle so great it leaves the Babylonian king praising the God of Israel. He grants religious freedom to the Jews and he promotes the three friends. What was it that caused this incredible turnaround? Well, above all else, it was that God himself stepped in. God himself personally came to save his people. Nebuchadnezzar sees four men in the furnace when he only threw in three. And he goes on to describe the fourth as like an angel of the Lord, like one like the son of the gods. He doesn't really know what he's seeing. I guess we don't really know what he's seeing. But through that description, the king is describing that God has entered the furnace. And through his presence, he has protected and delivered those in danger. God has acted personally. Truly, God is always with his people. Nebuchadnezzar may have dragged the Jews off from their homeland. He may have dragged them off from their temple and all they knew and how dear. But even in that foreign land, God was still there. He'd gone every step of the journey with them. And when God is present, there is always hope. And of course, this is not a guarantee of dramatic deliverance in every tough situation. There have been and there will be many more martyrs in the Christian faith. But the promise we have is that God is always with us. And it's his personal, sovereign presence that will rescue us from evil, even in the face of death. We just need to remain faithful to him. In a moment, we'll draw these thoughts to a close. But just before we do, I want to finish with this. I want us to reflect for a moment on the life of Jesus. Jesus was a human being who, like the three friends, found himself under the greatest pressure not to do God's will. Do you remember Gethsemane? The sweats of blood dropping down his forehead. The mighty temptation to save his own skin. And in that moment, even Jesus, the Son of God, had to fight to keep perspective. He wrestled in prayer and eventually submitted to his Father's will. And of course, Jesus was not miraculously saved before death. But he was truly delivered afterwards. He was raised to life by the personal presence of God's Spirit within that tomb. He was vindicated by his father for his stand of faith. And as Christians, we believe that what is true of our Lord will become true for us. We will come under pressure as we follow Jesus. And we're to keep perspective on who God is and remember that he's always present with us. And if we hold on to these great truths, we can be assured that God will deliver us one way or the other. Because in times of trouble, God always delivers the faithful.